protests, we walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Jason Jackson here, Kirk Morrison there. Pernell Brown is our hero. He keeps us all connected. Kirk, it, uh, I'm going to go back to the old National League West days. Uh-oh. When, when my Cincinnati Reds used to have to go out west and yeah. get their tail kicked all throughout the late 80s. It's tough <laughs> for me to congratulate the Dodgers, but I shall. I shall. Congratulations to all of you all out there. It's been a long run, man. Since yeah. Bulldog and them. Yeah, like I said, I you know I grew up in the Bay Area, so you know you grew up in the in in the Bay Area, you know Oakland, San Francisco. It's It's always beat LA. That's the only thing I've known my whole. And now they've got two championships, right? Not just the 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 Dodgers out of control. (laughs) Okay, your neighbors have to be incensed right now. Oh my god. It's, it's um, I mean, just these L.A. hats everywhere. But you oh. know what? I get it. I love it. And because I do live here now and my kids will grow up in this, you know, environment of championships. Mm-hmm. Right. And whether it's the Dodgers, the, the Lakers, um, they will have grown up in a city with championships because of where their dad lives and works. At, you know, but, um, you know, it's 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 different because. You can't truly celebrate, Jax, right? Because there is no parades. Not the same. There has been no no big things in which everyone can come together and share a hug about the moment. So um, it's a little bit different, right? Because obviously we talk about forward progress here. And, you know, there were protests and things that were going on in Los Angeles where people made it a point that I don't care what's going on with COVID or anything else, we have to go out and preach a message where it's a little bit different when it comes to celebrations, right? People are just, they they can't really embrace what some of these people have been around for. Like, you know, sports, you know, Jax, it's some, some people's life, 32 years for the Dodgers, man. That's a long time in between championships, but uh, congratulations to them and and Dave Roberts, man. Like, come on. That's the second African American manager to win a World Series, and I, I just think that was huge. Um, more so because, like I said, living here, Jax, I always felt that anything that went wrong, it was blame Dave Roberts, blame the black coach. He doesn't know what he's doing, right? You know, it, it was like that. You could hear that. Robert, Roberts needs to, needs to be fired. They tried to fire him after Game Two <laughs> in the World Series, but yet they win now. Which year? exactly they keep going back exactly but i feel like now that he's won a championship and you can not think about the coaching everyone now is saying today what a great man he is and i think that's what people forget is that they're still people forget the managerial positions and all that stuff and the the you know kind of the duties that he has as a coach but he's a great man and that's what all I keep hearing. And, and, and for him to be an African-American man and, and have this opportunity to win a championship and, and, and to do it, I mean, it, it's huge for the community and something that people of color can hang their hat on. 
I have a unique connection with Dave, and we've never met. I look forward mm. to having the opportunity to meet him. He was born 19 days after me. Wow. And 19. so I, I keep an eye on all the folks born in May. I don't know why. It's just mm -hmm. an affinity I dig. <laughs> uh, he, he's, he plays my favorite sport, obviously right. the sport of my childhood. Uh, and he came up uh, with the Cleveland Indians. And so I ended up seeing him a decent amount. I was a Reds fan um, right. at that point in my life. But uh, you keep an eye. On the drive, Ohio you know, baseball, yeah, it's yeah. Ohio baseball. And then with league play, the, the Ohio Cup is serious. It's not mm -hmm. a joke. Uh, right. And so it, it's really neat when you really peel back stories of your contemporaries. Um, mm. We claim them, right? That's okay. a black man, but let's be honest. He's mixed race. His mother is Japanese. His father mm -hmm. was in the Marines, mm -hmm. and that's where he met his wife and and had, uh, uh, I believe, I'm not mistaken, he has a sister. Um, but, but I think that's their family base and they've moved around, uh, just like military families do before arriving in his high school years in San Diego. Think about that, 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 that line of being a high school player in San Diego, being a professional player in San Diego, being a coach in San Diego in Major League Baseball, being a manager where he got his first opportunity uh, for the San Diego Padres. Uh, and then in Southern California with this storied franchise that has such a connection um, to race and sports and its interconnection, obviously, with uh, the team breaking the color barrier uh, before it's moved to even Los Angeles when they're still in Brooklyn. It's such a wonderful, full story of uh, the black experience mm. and this game. Um, Black folks love baseball. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, they do. The, folk, the folks I grew up around um, yep. who were so happy that I love that sport and mm -hmm. were so average. I was so average. <laughs> but the fact that I, I had an affinity for it, I had an appreciation for the history of it, uh, dove into the Negro Leagues in, in later high school years in college from a historical standpoint um, that I so appreciate uh, to this day. Matter of fact, one of the great scenes in one of the most underrated comedic films ever is Life, uh, mm, yeah. starring um, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. And and in prison, there is this baseball scene that is just absolutely <laughs> hilarity. But, but it speaks to how um, even when pushed to the periphery, if not damn near out, right. um, folks still love the game. They do. The thinking of the game, by the way, Kirk, there's a lot of that that goes into it. And that's why black folks were pushed to the edge. Don't play catcher. You can't pitch. You can't coach. You can't manage. Just go be the buck that you are. Knock the hell out of the ball. Run as fast as you can. <laughs> Snatch that thing off the wall. But in any of the thinking part of the game, get your ass. <laughs> so to be able to overcome all of that for right. all of this time, what a beautiful, beautiful punctuation on a career that's nowhere near over, but but has its crowning jewel moment. And by the way, he also won a World Series as a player, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with the Red Sox. With the Red Sox, yeah. Four, yeah. But I think also, too, um, you know, another player who, uh, in, in Mookie Betts, um, and, and, and I'll say this, uh, be living in Los Angeles, um, you know, you're always looking for who's that next guy. Right. I was here when you remember Matt Kemp, when he had his little MVP year and Matt yeah. Kemp was the hot thing. And when I look at where Mookie Betts and what he's done um, in Los Angeles, and I can say this, um, he needs to be the face of baseball. And I'm not taking anything away from Mike Trout, but I feel like Trout is already kind of established. 
for what Mookie Betts can do for people of color because he plays the kind of game and the passion that I think people in our culture love to see. We love to see excitement. We love to see running. We love to see uh, a sped up type of game. But to be able to roll your emotions on your sleeve, kind of how Mookie Betts does. So I'm excited for him as well, Jax, too, because... You know, you have to celebrate the accomplishments of the people who do look like you, especially during this time. And um, that's why I'm glad that we had a chance just to speak about what's going on with the Dodgers, because I think that it's important uh, in this time that we're sitting in right now. When I was playing this game and as a young man and in high school and wishing and hoping I could play in college, uh, which didn't happen. But hell of a softball career began. Uh, it, we had probably reached just short of 30% of Major League Baseball um, having black men. And if it's 7% now, I'd be stunned. I don't know the exact number, but I, 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 if, it's, if it's even sniffing 10%, 10% yeah. I'd be <laughs> stunned and staggered and stupefied. So uh, the fact that this, these images are here, you know what that triggers. It's a yeah. beautiful thing. Kids are going to want to play. Absolutely. Um, that's that's the hope. Well, now we got to figure out uh, how to how to get them and keep them. And all due respect to the two sports in which we make a whole bunch of bread uh, <laughs> following. Uh, there, there is something special uh, about the pastime. Uh, let's take a quick break. It's Kirk Morrison is Jason Jackson's for progress. So happy that you're back with us here this week. Uh, we have a unique story to share with you. Uh, and it allows young black girls to hop on the ice. Uh, black girl hockey club is a thing. One of their board of directors, Tanisha Singleton, will join us. And a little bit later, our buddy, Mark J. Spears from The Undefeated at ESPN. Fresh out of the bubble. He'll, uh, he might still have a little, a little soap smell on him. I don't know exactly <laughs> what, what the NBA campus did uh, yeah. to him, both mentally and physically. But uh, he'll join us as well. But Tanisha and Black Girl Hockey next here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Thanks for coming back and being a part of the program this week. It's Kirk Morrison, it's Jason Jackson, and it's time for us to kick some ice. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. ready to kick some ice. Let's do it. Uh, when Pernell Brown, our illustrious producer, presented to us the concept of ice hockey and black girls. We did not walk. We ran to the opportunity to talk about Black Girl Hockey Club from the organization. Tanisha Singleton joins us here on Forward Progress. Tanisha, you run a nonprofit organization that focuses on making hockey. Let me say it one more time. Focuses <laughs> on hockey. Uh, to be more inclusive for black women uh, and the families and friends and allies involved. Tell me about the lightning bolt that hit you and said, I, this is something that we've got to do. Absolutely. Well, the, the founder and executive director is Renee Hess, um, and this was her manifestation. She came up with this organization just as a very for us by a scenario because she recognized that there is a need, right? The way that your eyes lit up when you even said black girl and hockey. <laughs> that is not something that you normally would uh, put in the same sentence unless there's something in the middle that's like, nah. But, we <laughs> but this is, you know, Renee started this company, uh, this organization a couple of years ago, like I said, and it's honestly just, it became out of one of those scenarios where she had some friends that were lo 
hockey fan fans and re- realized that there was nobody that looked like her around. There was nobody in her. She grew up in Riverside, California, where I grew up as well. There was nothing in our community that we even talked about hockey. You know, it's the same time as the NBA season. So priorities, we're going to watch that, right? The folks that look like us. So it's after just organically going on Twitter, just as a casual fan, be like, hey, is there any other black girls in Dallas that want to watch the Stars game? You know, and like, oh, well, I'm in Philly. I want to see the Flyers. Or I want to see this. It, <clears throat> excuse me. It honestly just became this social media digital booster club powerhouse that just started organically. And then she was like, wow, this is really, it's not just me. There are more, but we're not marketed to. We're not represented. We're not invited. And it's, and it, and so from there, she recognized that this is a need that can be, you know, a service to our community. So became an official nonprofit organization focusing on making hockey more inclusive for black women and our families, because, hey, like we should be allowed to have fun, too. We should be allowed to watch this game. And myself personally, after bartending in L.A. for so long, if I ever went like, hey, let me put the Kings game on and they'd be like, what are you watching hockey for? Like, what are you kidding me? Like, that's that's a real thing. And it's because we see that the way that hockey culture has always been, it's toxic AF, right? It's always been gross. It's always been the white sport. Some that, and so we've, you know, y'all know those uh, old like Chris Rock jokes where he was like, wait till you see LeBron on some skates, right? Because <laughs> we know that like if we, there were more players, if more black men and women were included and invited and felt welcome to even participate, let alone be a fan, this is something that can be, that can be, that can be amazing. And it, it starts with disrupting though, the way that the culture is right now. And so black girl hockey club, it's, you know, we have a group of advocates, um, myself included, and I'm on the board of directors and Renee is the, you know, the founder and executive director. So everything is kind of under her, her leadership and, and following her lead into really making a difference in this culture. And it starts with education, community building, and a lot of representation. So we've got several campaigns and initiatives going on where we're trying to shake it up because it's nasty the way that things have been as of late. This year obviously has opened everyone's eyes to a lot of different things. The way that sports has been repositioned and reemphasized as this prompt to have larger conversations. So that that's what's up. And that's how Black Girl Hockey Club kind of started. And I found it because on Twitter, you know, I'm a big sports fan and do research in this area and work in the field. And I was living in L.A. at the time and I saw Black Girl Hockey Club. And like you, I was like, what? and then uh i saw she was doing a local meetup and at at staples center when the golden knights were in town to play the kings and i was like i gotta see this like what does this look like really and so i was like this is worth the you know 50 bucks or whatever and i show up early and i'll be damned i saw over 100 people Black, white, short, old, young, babies, veterans, disabled, lesbian, gay. Well, the most beautiful, diverse community that I had ever seen. And all of them were an Afro Puff Black Girl Hockey Club t-shirts. And I was mm, like, I love it. holy shit. Like, it was, <laughs> I was 
stunned. I was stunned. And we, you know, we've been fortunate enough to get involved with a lot of the franchises and clubs. And so she's been, she takes this on the road, you know, when we're allowed outside, Uh, when we can, you know, get on the ice, meet the organization, get involved. And it's all about the kids, you know, and making it welcoming. And it's been, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It really is. And that, when I went to that meetup, I was sold. I was like, I got to get in. And so (laughs) got on the board of directors. So, Tanisha, um, it, it could have been any other sport, though, right? You could have had a, a, a baseball club, right? A women baseball club meetup. It could have been NBA, NFL. You could have all these different fan groups. But what was it about hockey? Like, why hockey? And was that something that was been an untapped um, sport for not only black women, but just people of color in general? Because I'll tell you this, when I turn on the TV, Ain't no brothers on the rink. <laughs> Not too many. We always know the couple that are out there, but but still though, like, but wh- why choose hockey? And what attracted you to hockey? It's the challenge and the need. Just like mm. you said, you don't see folks that look like us on the ice. That's where we need to go then. Right. That's where we need to target that to change that. Because I'll tell you, um, you know, we might get into this later about the scholarship programs that we offer, but we. Uh, just last week had a virtual call with, um, we gave four scholarships away to young black girls, uh, two in Canada, two here in the States. And this nine-year-old girl who won, uh, she's in Winnipeg. She was making all of us cry because of how happy she was. This sheer glee. I've never seen anybody that's like a human definition of the word gleeful. This little girl was not, she could not stop bouncing. She was so excited. She had her little hockey stick and she was like, I want to play hockey. And the fact that that isn't regularly accessible for us, for money, family, whatever other reasons, that to me was like, this is a challenge. This is neat. This needs to change. There's no reason why we shouldn't be well, why we should feel, you know, weird to say, hey, put the put that Golden Knights game on being a black woman uh, and people are like, Arr! like that. That's a challenge. <laughs> that's a change. And that's a change that needs to happen. And so that's yeah, that's that's part of it, because like you said, yeah, these meetups, it could be any sport. You know, I'm heavily involved in MMA and combat sports, too. And I hell yeah, black girl MMA club, like black girl Bellator, <laughs> UFC. Like there's so much that needs to happen because just you, you and I, we all know that. At least for me, I recognize that sports and entertainment is the only vertical or only only space where we can find people that look like us succeed regularly. Right. Correct. I have a Ph.D. that's I went through 22 years, 22 grades, right? From K through 12, undergrad, master's. Out of 22 years of education, I've had three black teachers. Mm. I went back and I looked at that and I was like, Mm. three black teachers and four of you include my kindergarten teacher, which I don't know if that counts. But out of that, let's count her. So if you count it, oh yeah. I still think of Miss Mitchell. So she... But because of that, right, that's in the education space. Where else can we go regularly to look at to look at black people succeed sports and entertainment? That's it. And so we can't feel like hockey or that there's any space where we can't go mm-hmm. or where we're not welcome and included. And so and that's that's what we're trying to do. And it's a group of advocates, like I said, and so many of us in trying to build uh, a community in this and force hockey at all levels, youth, collegiate, professional, Olympic to 
recognize that they've been doing a disservice. Call out their receipts. That's something I always like doing. If you say like you would value, like you value inclusion and diversity, show me your receipts. Where does your values match your actions? And if you can't do that, then you front them. And we need to start being more willing to do that and in these spaces. And that's something that BGHC is certainly doing uh, in hockey right now. Tanisha Singleton, a member of the board of directors of the Black Girl Hockey Club with us here on Forward Progress. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, so let me open the gate for you because this is real. Um, you all list a lot of things that prevent inclusion in hockey, race, gender, sexuality. Um, but financial gatekeeping, it, it's got to be at the top of the list. There are organizations, organizations that I know exist down here in Florida where, where ice melts. Uh, <laughs> and they're trying to get young kids of color to play. They now had to transition themselves into a 501c3 because the bread is serious. How do you all overcome that dynamic? I know you gave us a little taste. Yes, it's very, it's very hard. And so we've definitely recognized that the financial aspects and equity of this, it's currency is so much more than dollars and cents, but it is still a, the, the, what pushes things to happen and how you move forward. So we've established a, a scholarship program to help subsidize some of the costs because hockey is the most expensive sport to play. Yeah. It is. And so we understand that that is going to be a barrier that's going to stop a lot of black kids and, and, and neighborhoods of color to want to play. So we have the scholarship program specifically for black women of age nine to 18, where we give away these scholarships three times a year. And they're designed to help offset some of these costs and, and encourage and insist young black girls uh, that may have an interest in hockey to play because we know that this is so underrepresented. Um, and so there's, if you go to our website, blackgirlhockeyclub.org, we have a list of the criteria and the application is all there for anybody that wants to do it. And so we're currently accepting applications for our winter scholarship. That deadline is December 31st. We just gave away, like I mentioned earlier, um, our fall scholarships, um, I'm sorry, our summer scholarships uh, and those four young black women leaders. And we celebrate them. We champion them, you know, and that's what we have to do, because if we can't encourage each other, what are we doing this for? Tasha, I know we got to let you go in a second, but just tell me what's next. What's the future of the Black Girl Hockey Club? What should we expect now that we you know, can you're on the radar now? People are going to start thinking and talking about you. And I'm glad that we've been able to promote it. But what's next for the Black Girl Hockey Club? Well, you know, we just launched our Get Uncomfortable campaign because we know that this is a time when there's a lot of radical change needs to happen. And so for us, this campaign, it's totally meant to disrupt racism on and off the, height, the ice and make hockey more welcoming for everyone. And so by taking the pledge, if you go also to our website, um, again, you'll see the Get Uncomfortable, take the pledge there. Uh, we want to, we have a several different initiatives where we're trying to make tangible change. And we don't want to just say like, hey, go read this or curation of resources and okay, bye. Like it takes so much more than that. And we recognize that from the C-suite to the local level to if you're a vendor, anything, there are small things that people can be doing that can make a difference to hockey. Um, and so with this, a lot of our, our three main objectives are around encouraging, employing, and educating because we want to encourage the hockey community to have these conversations. And we understand that it's going to get uncomfortable for some folks because black people in hockey have been for a real long time. 
So it's going to take a lot of our allies to get uncomfortable to in having these conversations. We want to employ more BIPOC applicants, more of that black indigenous people of color to get involved at the media level. We just saw the Arizona guy, like they just drafted a kid who's been convicted of bullying a handicapped minority. And he's their first pick. And we're like, are serious? I thought you were just on the board of, you know, inclusion and diversity and stuff. That's what I'm talking about, about receipts and values. Like, really? Uh, then why would this be your number one pick, right? So then, you know, our last initiative is obviously to educate because we know that allyship and social justice is so important. So we're having several different virtual events coming up. We're having a lot of conversations with uh, communities and organizations all over North America, Canada and the U.S., about how to get uncomfortable and make hockey better for everyone at all levels. So there's a lot more to come that I can't necessarily say yet, but if you take the pledge, we will follow up with you in our newsletter and get you involved so that everybody can help be a part of making this difference. And one more term, how can they get that newsletter? Blackgirlhockeyclub.org. Tanisha Singleton. B-O-D. Board of Directors for Black Girl Hockey Club. We thank you so much for the time and everything that you do. Thank you. Folks, stay with us. Forward Progress continues. The Undefeated, a wonderful website where you get news and commentary that really explores the intersection of race and sports, culture, and more perfect for Forward Progress. Their senior NBA writer and my friend, Mark J. Spears, joins us next. When we come back, it's Jackson and Morrison. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Listen, it's hard to be undefeated unless you work for the undefeated, <laughs> where there's a wonderful cross-section of conversation, sports, race, culture. I, I, my, my youngest son actually might be uh, a wonderful feature for our next guest. He is the <laughs> senior NBA writer, all things hoop from the undefeated, a wonderful offshoot of ESPN. Mark Spears joins us. Um, young Jordan, Mark, re received his first basketball offer from really? Florida. A&M, okay? Let's go. All right. Come on. Let's wait go. a minute. He's about to put everything down. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm about to be a rattler, Dad. I'm about to go up the street. I said, yeah, that's not no, up the he, street. He, this is an enormous state, and that's a hey. nine-hour drive. Okay. <laughs> he, uh, he, he saw the atmosphere. He visited already, huh? No, you know what? That's the tough thing about this era is that we can't go visit campus. Hey, yes. let me tell you something. <laughs> Dad, one, take the trip. Yes, sir. Uh, I played at HBCU for a year at University of D.C. and just playing um, the likes of Virginia Union and Hampton and Norfolk. I mean, uh, Norfolk State, North Carolina Central. Uh, the atmosphere is amazing. If you can't play, and Kirk, you know, shoot me down if, I, if this don't sound cool, but to me, if you can't play on a, a big five level in terms of, of schools, I think the HBCUs are the next best thing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the atmosphere is amazing. Uh, being in an environment for a black student that is predominantly black is is memorable. And there's nothing like the atmosphere that it presents in terms of the band and the, the craziness of the cheerleaders and, and and seeing the different fraternities and sororities walk into games. It's, you, you mean strolling. I'm sorry. You mean yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I, I don't know who our whole listenership is. <laughs> is but well, watching strolling the games is, yeah. is, is dope. So I, right. if he plays for fam, uh, I'm sure he'll have an amazing experience. And also yeah. it's a great school. Well, yeah, we're leaning, it's a, we're yeah, leaning it's in that a, direction. Yeah. And it's well, free. See, 
And it, well, hopefully it's free. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> but nobody, at the same time, nobody hooping for free, right? I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. If, if I didn't make it to uh, a Division One football program, I would have went to either Howard or Hampton. Um, but I got the scholarship to uh, San Diego State. I had a couple offers. I told San Diego, and I didn't get to the historical black college and universities. But we all know that I am a loyal member of the Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. That I just want to make sure y'all knew that that I still got my taste of the HBCU. Yeah, uh, you, know, you know who actually told me that, Kirk? Before you brought it up, <laughs> was my Sigma son. Uh, all you D-Niners, boy. <laughs> I don't remember it being this lovely when my parents were in college, but I love that there's that beautiful uh, synergy going on yeah, with the D-Niners. Always, yeah. always. Mm. Hey, can you still step? Oh, yeah, I can still groove, but I'm only doing the, just the, the smooth two-step. You know what I'm saying? I can't get down. They start bending the knees and, and getting low. I can't get low no more. That knee start hurting. You got to get some old video when Kirk was in the step show. Gotta get it. We gotta get it. Out there, so. Y'all better stop. Y'all better Fernell, stop. Isaac, you have your you have your marching orders. Uh, Mark, you're here. Hasn't even been a month uh, after you have removed yourself, uh, thanks to uh, the Lakers and Heat completing themselves in a timely fashion. Uh, walk us through your. Were you there from July on? What, what was your run? Well, one, uh, I, Jacks made uh, cameos in the bubble. <laughs> After games, when I go to the locker room, I would see him on this this video screen from probably his home where he's sitting now doing it. It was the arena. It was it was American Airlines <laughs> Arena, so I didn't yeah. go to work, but I did not go to work like you. Yeah, no, I was. Um, shout out to the Heat, though. Yeah. Your Heat, in- incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible. Jimmy Butler and the Heat. And I was there for ninety days, man. I got in July twelfth. Oh. Uh, I was there ninety to the day, ninety days, and. Um, I think the key for me was making it a comfortable environment. Um, uh, the players actually had it pretty good. Don't listen to them. They, they had it pretty good. Uh, they, could, they had a lot offered to them. They had restaurants they could go to, bars they could go to. The media really didn't have anything until towards the end where some, one of the restaurants was like, hey, so many teams left, we're not making money anymore. Let's let the media come now. <laughs> so, but I, you know, Jax, I, you know, Jax does his bougie stuff too. You know, I had my wine fridge in there. I was ready, Kirk. I had a wine fridge. I had a toaster oven. I was making my own coffee. I was grinding my own beans. The point I'm telling you that is because I, I wanted to make it a comfortable environment where there were things that I was familiar with or things that I liked on a daily basis. And, you know, um, I didn't want to succumb to the environment as, as many of my colleagues did. I mean, the food was basically convention food. It wasn't the best in the world. And then they had the snacks table. <laughs> Can't do that. Not around they me. Had, they had Jacks. They had nutter butters, bro. Oh I my ain't god! Nutter butters. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I almost didn't know you could still get them. That's a, huh? I didn't even realize you could still get them. Yeah, they had nutter butters. That was that was the devil to me, you know. But <laughs> Um, no, I, I think I made the best in the environment, um, that, you know, not only from a personal standpoint, but professionally, I thank ESPN and undefeated and, and, and the NBA for allowing me to be there. And I think it was important for us to have a presence there because of the social justice movement that was taking place the three days away that, um, you know, the players decided sparked by the bucks, not to play 
and even like I, I had some growth in there, man. Like, um, your 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 guy from the Heat, man. Um, your 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 center, uh, uh Myers Leonard. Like, oh, yeah. seeing Myers stand up, a, a young white man, and standing up during the anthem and having his hand on his chest while everybody was kneeling, but yet wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt, like, it brought conversation. You know, we need conversation in this world. We we need to hear other viewpoints and to hear my, you know, my 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 brothers in the military, and I, you know, I have feel like I need to stand respectfully for the military, but also I'm wearing this Black Lives Matter shirt because I care, and it's, that's important to me. Why why can't I be you know appreciative of both? And you know, I think. It's interesting because the black community will constantly tell you that it has nothing to do with the military. Right. However, for him, it does. But he yet he still supported black uh, people and, and, and their fight. And so it was interesting because it forced us to have that conversation with him. And he's actually went and called people back home and talked to him about the Black Lives Matter movement and explained them the difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. So there, there was certainly a lot of uh, education in the bubble as well. You know, that was a, a eye-opening piece, by the way, that you wrote for The Undefeated about Myers Leonard. I know I sat there and I read it. And for me, it also gave me perspective. The saying was that where I'm from, we don't see what's going on in the community. We hear it, but yeah. we don't see it. And just to say that, hey, I'm here in a bubble with these guys and I see it every day, what they have to go through. I see it when I was, you know, outside of the bubble when we, during the season and what they go through. Um, I, I think just from you being there, you said 90 days and you talked about some of the social unrest that was going on and how players necessarily didn't want to go to the bubble. They wanted to continue to go out and preach their message uh, and still be a part of the community. We know some players opted out. But for you being there, no, Mark, were guys coming to you to make sure they can still get the message out? Like, was Were you finding the message? Like, how was that? Because you had so much content that was coming out each and every day. And I'm saying that this is for people who aren't there. I was getting so much knowledge just just listening and listening to what you were, what you were writing. Oh, thanks, man. Well, somebody was reading my story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it, it was interesting because. One, I, I think it was important for them to be in a bubble. Um, LeBron James, when he tweets, Jimmy Butler, when they tweet, people are going to listen. Right. I wait, but I, but I even say this, I think people listen more to Jimmy because he was there. If, if Jimmy tweets outside the bubble, if George Hill says something outside the bubble, uh, Myers Leonard, are, are people really listening? Well, we had had, would you have read that Myers Leonard story like if he was just back home saying it, probably not, you know, but being in the bubble brought a highlight to the every player, the entire league, all the coaches, even some of the referees who, who had something to say. I remember when the referees did a uh, it was, their, little, uh, their protest, their little march. Yeah, they they, they, they yeah. did this little, their, their march. I called it their little march. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually kind of cute. They came out. Stood over by the pool, walked around the property. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> they care. 
know what I mean? <laughs> um, it is hard to have the resort march. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to stop. We got to stop. The, the, the heart was in the right place. And the, the effort was there. <laughs> that is actually pretty funny. I thought about. I was. I thought about it like that, but you brought it home. The resort <laughs> march. Oh yes, man, yes. made me cry. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I I think because we were there, it it, it gave um, it, it forced media that perhaps were not comfortable talk talking about it to have to report about it. Um. It, it got players to, that that you really didn't hear from, like Solomon Hill from the Heat. He has some eloquent things to say. I never would have listened to Solomon Hill before, really. You know, all due respect to him. So I think the bubble gave a platform to the entire league that they wouldn't have had, and and it, and it gave them some strength in numbers. It gave them some extra motivation. And when the players saw me, to answer your question, Kirk, like they were like excited to talk to me because they knew what I wanted to talk about. Like I had, you know, continuing on a white athlete, I did a story talking to Caruso and Corver and JJ Reddick about being a white player in the bubble and, and talk to the players, the white players that wore black lives matter on the back of their jerseys, which was, that meant a lot to me as a black man to see like white allies, you know, that, that would put that on the back of their jerseys to, to hear George Hill, basically say, man, I'm tired of these crooked-ass cops, man, and, and, and kind of break down and, and, and cause a, a three, you know, spark the three-day layoff uh, to protest the, the shooting of Jacob Blake, to see Doc Rivers. Like, we'll always remember the emotion that Doc Rivers had. There, there's so many different memories, like the Black Lives Matter bust when the Raptors pulled up, set the tone. Um that they that they had there, and even in and I keep and I'm just coming back to the heat because Jax is here. But like at the end of every interview, Bam Adebayo would say "Black Lives Matter." People like you always would say that. And I always so it was it was dope, man, to be a part of it. My my hope is that now that it's over, that the players continue. Yeah. Like, okay, now you've had this voice, you've had this platform. You've departed. What are you doing now? And when they decided not to play for three days, Jalen Brown said, okay, y'all thinking about leaving. What are you going to do when you leave? Right? Are, are you really going to be in the streets like me? Or are you going to be on your couch? And I think that resonated with a, a lot of the players that they better take advantage of this opportunity. When else has the media been so willing to talk to them about social injustice mm -hmm. and police brutality and, and racism and, and inequality and never before. So I, I think it was best for them to, to take advantage to the bubble the best they could. And we'll see where their voices are from here. That's Mark J. Spears from ESPN's undefeated. I, I want to talk to you about the platform. Um, I've been with you since Denver, and yep. then to Boston, and now this worldwide platform that you have, and transition specifically into the space that tries to cover this unique cross-section. What do you like most about reporting in this space? It's the best job I ever had. Um, I feel like I'm in a position to help people think, um, to maybe see things that they didn't think about before. 
I, I like being in the creative space and, and this is all, all due respect to people that write about breaking news and um, trades and who got hired, who might get traded or I, this means more to me and I think there's stories that I've been able to write since I've joined Undefeated in 2016 that you know will last a long time as reference material um, you know it's interesting now you're seeing the Washington Post the New York Times, USA Today, hire reporters to write about race and culture. Mm-hmm. We started the whole thing. We, and, and, and I think, unfortunately, there were a lot of people that turned their, their nose at us, turned their backs against us. Some people that were black, like, why do you guys have this site? Why do we need this? You know, racism ain't that bad. Well, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I really feel like what I'm doing is deeper than a trade, deeper than a game story, deeper than a feature. It's, it's something that um, is needed in today's society. And I guess to me, it gives a safe space for somebody to read and have some conversation. Like even like with Kirk, like the same way Kirk got something from reading my Myers Leonard story. I want somebody white to get from reading my story about the plight of black people, you know, if they might live in Iowa, they might live in North Dakota, they might live in another country. Right. I remember when I was in China, like a bunch of, at the, for the Olympics, people, Chinese people keep coming up to me wanting to take a picture. And I'm like, I ain't famous now. I ain't Kobe. I'm, I'm, I'm not Carmelo. I'm not Dwayne Wade, you know? And the reason why they were coming up to me and taking a picture was they never saw black people before. So, that's why, like, when I watch movies, like, look, man, I love Boys in the Hood and all the movies, you know. But if that's the only way they see us right. is from hood movies, mm-hmm. that's sad, man. <laughs> like, we're, we're talking, there's three educated brothers right here with, with a lot of depth and a lot of knowledge to them. You know, we ain't gangbanging. <laughs> so, but hopefully from reading my stories, hopefully from what you guys are, are talking about, they could see past the movies, past the rap music, past the uh, stereotypes and the perceptions and get to see how amazing a lot of black folks are. You know, I, I know you don't just cover just NBA. I mean, you watch sports in general, like just the culture. And you know, whether it's the NFL, NBA, but just thinking about, you know, as we're taping this right now, you know, we had the second African-American manager win a World Series in Dave Roberts, right? You have, to me, the face of, or it could be one of the good faces of baseball in Mookie Betts, who had a great World Series, a great season. And I'm just thinking about if if you're in Major League Baseball, Mark, how, how do they push that even further just to to help you know people like us see like look we can accomplish great things we can we need more black managers in baseball we need to, and just in sports in general um I, I think with with baseball they do a really poor job of making themselves uh like an attractive to the black community like he why isn't Mookie Betts on every commercial why isn't right. he like uh, the NBA does an amazing job of promoting their stars. Let's see what happens with Mookie over the next couple months. I, I hope he gets promoted. And I'm sure there was a black kid that said, man, that dude's pretty good, man. Mm-hmm. He, he inspires me. Um, you know, the same way it's, it's interesting, flipping it, 
I think Tyler Hero has probably inspired a lot of a lot of young white kids to play basketball. Yeah. I hope the same way, you know, Mookie Betts is is inspiring people to play baseball. I talked to this guy, and I hope he's listening because I need him to reach out to me. I, I, I met this man from Atlanta who was basically trying to convince black basketball players in junior high to move over to baseball. And he was seeing guys that maybe that you could tell they weren't going to be that tall. Um, that, man, baseball, there's a big future in baseball for people that are athletic with speed. And he would go to junior high AAU games and scout basketball players to come to, and try to get them to convert to, to baseball. And had had some success in Atlanta. And I think maybe one or two of the players have been drafted already. Um I hope more uh, African-Americans, blacks, you know, give baseball a chance. I loved it as a kid. I thought it was a fun sport. We got to stop saying, oh, it's boring, it's slow. Same with soccer. We need more black folks to play soccer, man. There's a lot of opportunities there. All of us can't hoop and play football. Right. Um, I think from an athletic standpoint, those those two sports definitely – could use more blacks, but it's like when I was a kid, everybody black played baseball. Now we're all in the hoop, we're all in the football. Like I think that hopefully we could see more Jackie Robinson leagues and get get more kids into baseball because I do think that the Mookie Bet style of play, the guys that could not only hit but steal bases, like right. it's fun to yeah. watch. I, I grew up, Kirk. You know this. We grew up with Ricky mm-hmm. Henderson, Ricky Henderson, all yeah, those guys. Yeah, that when I was in little league, I used to do my fingers like that when I was like leading off on first. <laughs> I never got caught stealing. I was I was quick then. You know, um, we need more Dave Stewart's. We need we need black kids to see people like them so they could be inspired. And, and it's sad that the number of blacks in baseball has dropped so dramatically that we're, we're picked. Like I saw Ken Griffey on an interview yesterday. I'm like, it's like he disappeared. Like yeah. we, need to, we need to bring our black stars back and hopefully inspire more black kids to play baseball because I love the sport. Mark J. Spears, we thank you for the time. The senior NBA writer from The Undefeated. My man. That's it. That's all we need from you this time. Uh-huh. Come on back anytime. We're going to give you a couple months. Don't worry. We're going to give you a little bit of time. Get, get settled right before Christmas when the season starts. Easy. Gonna, have you back. Easy. <laughs> oh, I prefer the MLK oh, choice, please. I do. I'm going to call one of my referee friends to give them a hard time for their. <laughs> oh, and let them know. Let them know we were laughing out of joy. Protesting the resort. But it counts. It's yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. The tent was everything. And Mark, they still got it covered, though. Exactly. Y'all, man. All right, man. Buddy. Mark J. Spears from The Undefeated, ESPN's fine platform that allows the cross-section of race and sports. We thank him so much for being with us. Plus, Tanisha Singleton from Black Girl Hockey Club. What a wonderful conversation there. For Kirk, I'm Jax. We'll talk to you next time.